Continuing on here in our First Samuel series, uh, I just want to welcome our visitors here to kind of clue you in. We've been in First Samuel since August. Uh, I realized that later earlier this week. Uh, we've been here for a minute, but I hope that you've been excited along the way, kind of just seeing these scriptures maybe come alive in a different way than you've experienced before. Um, last week was pretty fun. Uh, we talked about opportunities that come our way, and not necessarily taking those opportunities, but weighing the cost of what every opportunity has. Yes, every opportunity comes with a cost. And last week we talked about how we need to seek the heart of Christ in order to want the things that Christ wants, right? We talked a little bit about how that verse, you know, I kind of said as a kid when it said, ask and it shall be given to you, seek and you'll find. As a kid, I was like, "Mm, that doesn't work for me. Uh, I ask a lot of things and I don't receive a lot of things. Uh, But we kind of explored how sometimes we have to change our hearts to see what Christ wants. And if we want the things that Christ wants, different opportunities will arise in our lives than we didn't really expect before. So it's about changing our heart, molding our lives to be more like Christ, and just seeing what happens. So today we're going to move on in 1 Samuel 23 and 24. And I just, this is my favorite sermon title of all time, Evil Doers and Evil Deeds. It sounds like a really cool album title. I don't know. You can, whatever band you want to put in, I was thinking maybe some ACDC, uh, Evil Doers and Evil Deeds. Sounds pretty cool. Sounds pretty rock and roll. But anyway, David makes it sound pretty cool here too. Uh, we're going to get to that in a minute. Uh, but before we do, we're going to be in First Samuel chapter 23, beginning in verse 1, to set the scene as to what's going to come. So let's uh, read this here, and we'll go from there uh, after we read. Uh, when David was told, look... The Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are looting the threshing floors. He inquired to the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? The Lord asked him, Go attack the Philistines and and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Here in Judah we are afraid. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the Philistine forces? Once again David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, Go down to Keilah, for I am going to give the Philistines into your hand. So David and his men went to Keilah, fought the Philistines, and carried off their livestock. He inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Keilah. Now Abathar, the son of Ahimelech, had brought the ephod down with him when he fled to David at Keilah. So here we are once again. There's conflict. There's a battle to be fought. And David is accosted by his men, right? What are we going to do about these Philistine people, right? And at first, uh, it doesn't seem like it's a good idea, right? Remember what David says here, the men are afraid, right? Why are we going to pursue these people if we're already kind of in a perilous state as is? We're going to fight this battle. We don't necessarily have to fight. Why are we going to do this, David? And David asked the Lord twice, and twice the Lord says, David, just go because when you go, I am going to be with you. And guess what happens? We just read it. What do you know? David is victorious. And like we've studied over and over and over again, it wasn't David who was victorious, right? Right. you got to shake your heads. No. It was the Lord victorious through David and recognizing that God did it. God won this battle. God remains with his people, even in a situation where it looks kind of treacherous. But at this victorious state, right, David once again does the thing that David often does. Saul is not pleased. Surprise, surprise. While David, this is in uh, verse 15. While David was at Horish in the desert of Ziph, 
he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I'll be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and then Jonathan went home. But David remained at Horish. You see, the problem is, is that before all this takes place, before, before Jonathan's able to come to David, there's this pursuit once again, right? And we're at this place where David is, a, is in a secure place of hiding. But what happens previous to this in verses 7 and 8 will make you understand why he's in hiding. Verse 7 of chapter 23 says this, Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah, and he said, God has delivered him into my hands. For David was, has imprisoned himself by entering a town with gates and bars. And Saul called up all of his forces for battle to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. So after David wins this battle, after he's victorious, God sends him out to battle and God brings victory to David. Saul seizes, sees this as an opportunity to imprison David once again. He even says right here, he goes down to a city with bars and gates. Perfect for a prison for my prey, right? Saul is ready to pounce on this opportunity. Where David sees God's victory take place at Keilah, Saul sees opportunity to entrap David once again. He sees it to, as an opportunity to get David, and finally he's going to have his prize. At this, David does what he has to do. He goes into hiding. But along the way, he's relying on God, and he's, he's asking God over and over again. He's, he has uh, Abathar, right? Uh, let's go back here, one slide. He has Abathar here, the son of Ahimelech. Remember we talked about him last week too? That Doag, the Edomite, killed all these people, but Abathar was able to escape and be with David. And because Abathar is with David, David has this line of connection to God. He's constantly inquiring to God, God, what should I do? God, lead me in this direction. Where should I go from here? Along the way that Saul is pursuing him, Saul is asking people, where is David? Where is David? Where is David? David's saying, God, where should I go? Inquiring, what should I do? Do you see the difference there? Saul's relying on men, whereas David is relying on God and his advice and what he needs to do. But luckily, David had help, right? And we read these verses here in 15 through 18, and he has some of the best help anybody could possibly have in this situation, right? He has the king's son on his side telling him, do not be afraid, right? Look here. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. It's almost like Jonathan is the perfect friend, and we've talked about Jonathan's friendship before. We're going to talk about it again today. But it's perfect in this situation, in this time of hiding where David and his people, we don't recognize it because we're kind of reading it verse after verse after verse. We're like, oh, this is a few days. No, this is over years. Could you imagine being pursued this way? And if you read through the Psalms, you kind of get a glimpse into the person of David, right? Where he's crying out to God, where he's thinking he's going to die every other day. And for us, we read this in sequence, and we're like, oh, it's not that much time. No, they're moving deeper and deeper into wilderness. And it's not just David and a handful of guys. That's like a whole army with David having to hide from Saul over and over again. Do you recognize how annoying that must have been? 
how burdensome that must have been, not just on David, but everybody else. Could you imagine being in, the, in David's army there and just being like, this guy is going to get me killed, right? This guy is making me stay away from home year after year. I'm out in the wilderness with you, man. When is this going to end? But luckily, David has Jonathan in his life. He has Jonathan in his life to go to him in the wilderness and say, don't be afraid, right? He helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid. And he, and he implores him, my father will not lay a hand on you, David. It's great, great, great uh, to hear from David, but, or excuse me, from Jonathan. But when I'm reading this, and maybe this is a cynical part of me, <laughs> if I'm David, and I'm out here in the woods with all my guys, this guy's Saul is trying to kill me day after day after day, and then this Jonathan comes to me and says, don't be afraid. I'm like, dude, you are not me right now, right? Like, it is very easy for you to say, Jonathan, don't be afraid because you're not out here with me right now. <laughs> it is very easy for you to look down and say, my father will not lay a hand on you. Really? I'm having to ask God, should I leave this city <laughs> or, or should I be captured by these people? It is not as easy as you make it sound here, Jonathan. But as I get cynical, as, as that kind of portion of my brain kind of, kind of turns, I'm reminded that Jonathan isn't just anybody, right? Nod your heads if you're with me. Jonathan's not just anybody. And this is not just an empty statement of, hey, don't be afraid. It's all going to work out. It's like when you're upset and someone says, hey, don't be mad, <laughs> right? It doesn't make much sense. But again, this is not just anybody, and this is not just a statement. Remind yourself about what Jonathan and David are all about, right? This is, I wanted to key in on this, this phrase right here, that Jonathan went to David and helped him find strength in God. Do not be afraid were his words. And I believe that this is really important because Jonathan and David, remember the connection they had, this kindred spirit that they shared together. Remember when Jonathan met David, it was right after he killed Goliath. And at that time, Jonathan, he took off his armor, he took off his, his military garments, and he handed them over to David, and he says, I'm with you forever, man. <laughs> this covenant that we're making is beyond anything that me and my father could have, because we are kindred spirits. I'm submitting myself to you, and David submits himself to Jonathan in the same way. This is not just an empty statement of, don't be afraid, it's going to be okay, buddy. This has a lot of weight to it because these men have seen battle. These men know each other and care deeply for one another. And he truly means and he's investing in helping him find strength in God. Do not be afraid. But the thing is, is that this can be said over and over and over again, but Saul is going to continue to pursue David nonetheless. As much as this is true, Saul is going to continue to pursue David. And it's actually funny because um, right when uh, things are about to turn sideways, this is what happens, okay? Verse 26 of chapter 23. Saul was going along one side of the mountain, and David and his men were on the other side, hurrying to get away from Saul. Right? This is the moment in the movie where the, the, two, are, the two parties are about to converge. As Saul and his forces were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul saying, Come quickly. The Philistines are raiding the land. 
And then Saul broke off his pursuit of David and went to meet the Philistines. It's that moment where, you know, they're right behind the door and they're, they're searching, they're searching, and they're about to open the door and, and find whoever they're looking for, but just at the right moment, they're taken away. And what's hilarious here is that Saul is actually doing what he's supposed to be doing when he's taken away, right? The Philistines are here. Go do something about it, Saul. And because of that, David and his men are, are spared, Okay. And all of this is taking place, and, and, and I, want, I want you to have all these kind of scenes, all these things in mind. David and his men are safe for the time being. But I want to pause for a second and have you think for a moment about a person in your life. Have you ever had a friend that could get you to do just about anything, good or bad? Okay, think about that friend for a moment. Have you ever had a friend that could get you to do just about anything in the world? Uh, I had a friend in college, his name was Woody, and we were best friends. Uh, he was the guy that could absolutely get me to do just about anything. Uh, one story that I'll share with you is uh, we went to school at, at Harding in Arkansas, and we would camp a lot of times because there's nothing else to do. You go sleep outside, I guess. That's what you do in Arkansas. Um, and so a bunch of us went, and we were going to camp out at Heber Springs, a really beautiful place. A lot of students go there, and during the daytime, it's really fun to jump off cliffs that are like 40 feet. It's really fun. I highly recommend it. Um, and we, we would go there all the time. It was really fun, and it was a good place to camp as well. So we were camping, and my friend Woody said, hey, let's go jump off the cliffs tonight. Okay, I want to pause for a second, too. I was 19. <laughs> this was, uh, my, my, this, my frontal lobe, whatever, was not fully developed yet. Uh, my problem-solving you know, abilities were not completed. And so I said, Woody, that's a great idea. Let's go. So me, Woody, and my buddy Austin, we, we sneak over to the cliffs. And I want to say, like, you see nighttime. Is, uh, there's, there's the moon, and, and there's, there's light, but there is no moon in the sky. We couldn't see anything. And so my friend Woody says, I think this is the right place to jump. (laughs) And for me at that time, that was enough to be like, okay, I trust you. I'm I'm getting anxious talking about this because it's so scary. I I don't want to make light of it because I know people do get hurt doing this. And thankfully, we jumped that night and none of us got hurt. Um, I did split my lip open. uh, So when we got back to the campsite... I looked in the mirror, I had blood all over my face. And it was pretty gross, pretty gruesome, but we were all okay. And I'm not, I really don't want to make light of that story, but it was a crazy time and a crazy adventure and just one of the many things that my friend Woody was able to get me to do. And we had so many other good adventures, so many other good times together, but for whatever reason, I would follow Woody into a burning building, I'm sure. I would follow him in to do whatever it was because his confidence, his his demeanor was able to just get me to just buy in and do whatever I wanted to do. And we were great friends, and we had a lot of good times together. But I'm sure you've had experience maybe similar to that in your life where somebody in your life maybe not got you to jump off a cliff at night, uh, but somebody in your life took you along and said, hey, come along with me. That's not something I'd normally do, but since you're coming along, I'll do it, and I'll have courage, and I'll have a good time. I'm sure I will. But these friends, for whatever reason, don't just speak to who we are as people. It's like an inner, deep soul connection you have with this person. 
right? Where it's like, everything's going to be okay as long as that person is with me. I don't care what we're doing. We're going to make it through. And there's just this soul speak that this person has the ability to communicate to. And the reason why I, I really wanted to pause and talk about Jonathan was because those words to me as I sit there as David, to me they sound empty. Don't be afraid. This guy with an army is trying to kill you, but don't be afraid. But I think about my friend Woody and I think about other experiences I've had in my life and that soul speak that a friend is able to have in your life. And I go back to Jonathan and when he says, don't be afraid, find strength in the Lord it's not just words. It's this nourishing, soul-enriching experience. And I don't think it's an accident that we hear about Jonathan, we hear about this conversation we have with David. It's not an accident what takes place next for David. So he's safe from Saul right now. We pause in the middle of the story, and now we're going to pick up in chapter 24, verse 3. He came to the sheep pens along the way. This is Saul. A cave there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. This is the craftiness of David, right? Saul earlier, actually, if you read chapter 23, Saul describes David as a crafty fellow, right? And we see it on display here in chapter 24. Whatever Saul's up to, a lot of people say Saul's using the restroom. Maybe he is. Maybe he's sleeping in this cave. Whatever he is, he's or he, David goes undetected by him. And he's able to craftily sneak up and take the corner of his robe, showing a sign that, yes, had you in my, in my clutches. I had the, the drop on you. I'm going to take advantage of you. And this is the point of the story where David finally kills Saul. No, it's not. I tricked you. <laughs> Shake your head. It's not the time. But this is the time where I'm thinking if I'm in David's army, what are you doing? We've been in hiding for so long. We've been in hiding from this guy for a very long time. We finally have him right where we want him. And all you do is cut the corner of his robe off? Why? Why would you do this? Why are you putting us in this situation? We see here in, in verse, uh, verses 5 through 6, afterward, David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. You might be thinking, like I'm thinking here, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yes, he's the Lord's anointed, but he's not acting like it. You're the Lord's anointed, and you are acting like it. Why should we have to suffer because of what's going on between you and your conscience, David? Why are we suffering? Why are we in hiding because of all the things that are going on? And then finally, David's able to interact with Saul from a far-off distance, and he has this long kind of speech that he makes to Saul about what's going on. But I just want to have a few verses here highlighted from beginning in verse 12. This is David talking to Saul. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. 
That's very important there. The Lord, may the Lord avenge the wrongs that you have done to me. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be your judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. I almost hear a little bit of the talk that Goliath did to David, right? Do you remember this? Where where Goliath calls out to David, what am I, a dog that you come out with sticks? Right? David is kind of reusing, repurposing that statement. Are you chasing after me like a dead dog? Like an insignificant flea? The king of Israel is pursuing me. Why? And he goes back talking about this phrase here, from evildoers come evil deeds. Basically saying, do you know me to be an evildoer? Do I do evil deeds? The only things I have ever done are for the sake of you and your kingdom and for the sake of the Lord. Am I an evildoer and do I do evil deeds? And at this time, you know, Saul has no other options but to hear this and to accept it. Saul is convicted here, like Saul's been convicted over and over and over again. He's convicted for this time. But the thing that I want to kind of key in on throughout this whole section is this idea of fear. That this fear that drove Saul to do all the things that he ended up doing are ultimately going to lead to his demise. And the fear that David experienced while he was being pursued by Saul, you can read, like I said before, over and over again in the Psalms where David's heart is kind of put on full display, where he's showing fear, where he's showing all these things, but he always, always, always comes back to this idea of, but I trust in the Lord and I know that you are going to take care of me. There's this idea of fear swirling about, but throughout both of these chapters, there's also this concept of being delivered into somebody's hand over and over again. I just want to highlight a few that took place. Okay, this is the kind of following through here in 1 Samuel 23, 4. For I am going to give the Philistines into your hand. This is God speaking to David when the Philistines were at Keilah, right? And eventually that does come to fruition. In in chapter 23, verse 7, God has delivered him into my hands, for David has imprisoned himself. That is Saul talking about David being delivered into his hands. Again, in verse, or chapter 23, verse 20, we will be responsible for giving him into your hands. This is when the people wanted to give David over to Saul, into his hands. And eventually here in chapter 24, verse 4, I will give your enemy into your hands. There's this idea of being given over into somebody's hands. But guess what? The only one that comes to fruition, the only one that comes to fruition is the first one. See, the, the very last one was when uh, David's soldiers were saying, David, this is the time that God told you was going to take place. Look, he's standing there. He's sleeping. He's doing whatever he's doing. This is the time. He's been given over to your hands. But only one of these four actually comes to fruition, and it's the one that God ordained to happen. Right? The Philistines given over into David's hands. All of them are similar, but only one is seized upon. And guess who is responsible for that? Let's all say it together. God was responsible. One more time. God was responsible for that one, right? All these other ones are the machinations of human beings being delivered over into your hands, being delivered into your hands, David. See, this is what God said would happen, David. 
But all of these things are wrapped up in this idea of fear. Even in this moment, in the very last one, where it could be true. And I'm going to say, alternate reality, if David does kill Saul there, I think things are going to be fine. Things are probably going to be much better without Saul there, but I'm thankful that David's perspective is not that, right? Because the story is much more enriching. Where he has the opportunity, but he recognizes, no, the Lord's going to avenge this situation, not me. My fear is not going to drive me to do the things that my other friends want me to do. The fear of this is not going to drive me to turn my back on God. I am going to be God's chosen servant, and I'm going to do what God calls me to do. But all of this fear, all of this insecurity just reminds me of how thankful I am for Jonathan. Remember? Because what was Jonathan kind of pleading to David about, right? To find strength in himself? No, right? To find strength in God. He says, do not fear. All the statement that, that, that Jonathan gave to him was, my father is not going to lay a hand on you. And it's not anything to do with you. It has everything to do with God. The friend that says, do not fear, not because you're so great, but because God is so great. That's the kind of friendship, that's the kind of soul speak that we're talking about this morning. And again, I don't think it's a coincidence that David's reaction to Saul being right in front of him happens right after Jonathan encourages him and says, hey man, don't be afraid. The Lord is doing something in you. So my question uh, this morning and I, there's a lot going on. I, I hope I didn't lose you, okay? This idea of fear, this idea of faith, this idea of relying on God and really friendship, all these things kind of come together in one. So my question this morning that I want us to kind of think about is how can we choose faith over fear? And this, this might be a very common phrase and it might be some, a bumper sticker, you know, faith over fear. And I don't want you just to kind of glaze over here. We're almost done, I promise. But how can we be better at choosing faith over fear? The very first thing that I think we need to recognize is that seeking wise counsel is, imp is a very important thing. We've talked time and time again how Saul didn't really have anybody in his camp that was telling him, hey man, maybe you shouldn't kill David. Sounds crazy to us, but Saul didn't have that. In, in, in reality, he should be seeking wise counsel by seeking God's guidance. But if you read, I, I underlined it in my Bible, and I don't, don't want to kill you with this, but if you read through chapter 23, over and over and over again, Saul is relying on the information from other people. And the distinction is being made that, that David is relying on instruction from God. I would rather rely on those instructions, Right? But kind of stepping into where we are today, seeking wise counsel is not just praying to God, but it's asking people who have been through things in their life to help you through things in your life. Sometimes we get very proud to think that I don't want to ask that person because they're going to think I'm stupid. Or they're going to think I'm dumb or they're going to think I can't handle it. The other option is that you don't ask and then you end up looking dumb. Right? We've, we've all been there. I didn't ask because I didn't want to seem like I didn't know anything. But guess what? If you don't know, you just don't know. It's an opportunity to learn and to grow. And what I see taking place in this story is that Jonathan was the wise counsel that David might not have even known he had to seek. But thank God that he had him. Right? Thank God he had that wise counsel to encourage him to find strength in the Lord saying, Do not fear. Do not be afraid. 
And we step away from, from that situation into ours and say, my situation does not look like David's. All the more reason to seek wise counsel. I always tell the teens that, uh, you know, once they graduate and they go to college, they go to the workforce, they, they go and do their lives, whatever it is, they're going to be challenged in their faith more radically as an adult than they ever have been as a teenager. Questions are going to come. And what a lot of times happens is that you get to be about my age, and then you say, the church never taught me this. My youth minister never taught me that. So-and-so is, you know, oppressive, and, and, and they never let me ask any questions. And what I always tell the teens that if they ever say that in their lives, I'm going to find them. And I'm going to, like, smack them in the back of the head. Because what I always want to say over and over again is that this is a place where you can always ask questions. There's never a question too big to be talked about, ever. Even if I don't know the answer. I said this morning, we were talking about a pretty dicey subject. (laughs) And my, my final answer was, I don't completely know why this took place. But guess what? That's okay. And we're still going to try to figure out things together. Seeking wise counsel doesn't always mean that you're going to get the answer that you need but it's going to offer the conversation and and the faith building that you desperately need more than you probably realize. Faith over fear starts with recognizing you don't know everything and seeking somebody who might know a little bit more than you do, or at least is removed from the situation. The second thing is I think that we need to look at our deeds. What are we doing in this world that kind of leads to faith or leads to fear. I love this phrase, not just because it's a cool turn of phrase, but David says, basically, look at my life. Evil doers do evil deeds. Am I an evil doer? For David, the answer was no. And I want you to look at your life and the things that you are putting out in the world. Are you an evil doer? I, I don't think so. Maybe a little bit. I'm just kidding. I don't wanna, I'm not calling anybody an evil doer, okay? Um, But I I am saying to look at your deeds and to say, okay, what am I putting into the world that is shaping how people view Jesus? Because at the end of the day, when when we talk about being the hands and feet of Jesus, we have to do that through the things that we do. It's not just our faith, right? Faith without works is dead. Absolutely true. Faith is what saves us, but the works, kind of going off what we talked about last week, when our heart is shaped after Christ, our works are going to look a whole lot different than they used to. Allow your deeds, allow your works to be shaped by the faith that's being created within you. The faith that you are, that you are professing to other people. And the third thing is that we need to pray for strength where we are weak. Very, very churchy, Jimmy. Pray for strength where we're weak. But I want to ask you a real question. When's the last time you actually did that? Don't raise your hand. Don't shout it out loud. But when, when's the last time you actually prayed for strength where you're weak? I know I haven't done it in a long time. And sometimes you don't know where your weakness is without the wise counsel in your life. I guarantee you David didn't know that he was going to have this opportunity in chapter 24 when Jonathan was talking to him. Right? 
But I really, really like to think that that strength that Jonathan gave to David in that moment was able to strengthen him and say, you know what, I am the Lord's anointed and I'm not going to act on my own behalf. I'm going to act on God's behalf. And I, I guarantee you the, the, the time in between when Jonathan was with him and to the point where he had Saul right there in his clutches, there was a whole lot of prayer going on in David's life. And I guarantee you he's praying for strength where he's weak. Help him to be encouraged. Help him to be strengthened to do what God wants him to do and not what everybody else wants to do. So I want you to think about those moments in your life. Where are you the weakest? I was having a conversation with someone last week. I didn't ask permission to share the story, so I'm not going to say their name. But they said, I don't want to pray for this thing in my life because the moment I pray for that thing in my life, it's going to happen more. And you're probably right when you say that. My encouragement is to don't, don't fear those moments, but allow your faith in recognizing you know where Jesus has already taken you to feel strengthened when you pray for your weakness because in our weakness, he is made strong, right? In our weakness, we are made strong through Jesus. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for this time and I thank you for giving us the story um, where we can see just the faith, the friendship, the fear, all those things kind of coming together and culminating to a really tangible story where we struggle with fears, we struggle with faith. And God, I pray that we have friends in our lives that can speak into situations where we can be strengthened and go through those more faithfully to what Jesus would want us to do. God, please help us as we go from this place to be a shining beacon of light for, for, your, for Jesus and to the world. Help us to be uh, the, the, the people we need to be to be the incarnation of Jesus every day to those who we encounter. So just let me pray. Amen. If you have any needs, if you feel like your fear is too much right now and you feel like you don't have any friends, I want to say stop feeling that way. I don't want to be like, you know, <laughs> Jonathan there and say, don't be afraid. Uh, but I want to say that there are friends to be made here. There's connection to be had. There's community, community to be poured into. So if you have any needs at all in that area, please come talk to somebody today. If you have any needs in any other area, I want to encourage you also. You can come forward. You can go talk to somebody else. But I want you to, uh, to, to talk to somebody today as we stand and sing.